Welcome, people of the world. I'm Tequila. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to Inside Stories Podcast, where Tequila and I explore Madison one story at a time. Yes, and we have grouped together some amazing episodes for you for our podcast. These ones are presented in partnership with Isthmus Community Media here in Madison. They've been a source of local news and media and culture and all kind of good stuff since the 70s. I wasn't even born yet. 1976. Okay. I was 10. Um, So we're... This season, there's going to be 12 episodes, and so they come from three different places. So some of them are from Listen to Your Mother, which is a storytelling event that happened in the Barrymore on um, Atwood Avenue a bunch of years ago. Some are from the Odyssey Project writing class, which um, was on Park Street at the South Partnership Project building. Park Street. Everything happens on Park Street in Madison Good. There is a lot (laughs) happening in that one particular area. And yeah, so these are stories that were told at the end of the writing class, or they're stories that were told at the Heinen Saloon as part of the Moth Story Slam. Yes. So thank you to all of our listeners who've been rocking with us since our podcast started day one. And thank you to all the new listeners. And a special thanks to Isthmus for featuring our podcast and giving us some extra shine and more reach for our listeners. And if this is your first time listening, make sure you share with your friends. Yes, for sure share. And Hit us up at Inside Podcast. Inside Stories Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, we one day we're going to get that right. Um, so hope you enjoy. Welcome to Inside Stories. I'm Tequila. And I'm Jen. Um, in Inside Stories, we explore Madison one story at a time. And this week in the studio, we have Debbie Kennedy. Hello, Debbie. Hi. Welcome. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, Debbie, we're going to listen to a story Debbie told at the Moth at the High Noon in 2018. So, we're going to listen to it and, and then we'll talk to you about it. Sounds good. So I think the number three fear in America may be water slides. I'm not sure on that, but it might be. So I approached the water slide, and I had two choices. On one side, there was like a super long line. And on the other side, there was no line. So I had a choice to make. And I thought, it must be my lucky day. And I raced up the side with no line. But once I started down that water slide, I realized my mistake immediately. The entire thing was enclosed. So it was very dark and you could not sit up. So you were kind of laying down and so the cold water's rushing in your face and it felt like the whole tube was closing in on me. And I had this urge to climb my way back up the water slide, but I don't have superpowers. (laughs) So I couldn't do that. 
So I kept going down and I'm panicked and my mind is racing like, what can I do to get out of this? This is horrible. And I realized I had to just go through it. I had to go through it and get to the end and be thrown out into the cold water of the pool. And at the time, it felt a lot like grief to me. A few months prior to this, my almost 11-year-old daughter had died of a brain tumor. And at the time, nothing felt right. It's kind of like the Hamilton song, the world turned upside down to make it very dramatic for you all. None of my clothes felt right. Even the most mundane questions felt like trick questions, like how are you? Or how many children do you have? And I felt like I just don't have the sophistication to really pull off like a melancholy wistfulness the way that I felt. I'm more like a spring color. So like a couple weeks after my daughter died, she loved the grocery store, so I knew we couldn't go to our usual grocery store. So I ended up going to one that we'd never been to, but I walk in and I immediately just lose it. So I'm crying over by the cauliflower, This woman comes over, and she gives me a big hug. She listens to my story. She cries with me. And I was somehow able to make it through the store. And when I checked out, like she was like cheering me on because she knew that I had accomplished something. And at the time, my son was in kindergarten. And so I showed up for field day with my infant daughter strapped on. And I was just a mess. And... My friend Katie McGlynn just gave me a huge hug because I was pretty sure there wasn't crying aloud at field day, but still, like, she just accepted me and she was just one of those friends that just was, like, there for me. And if you're thinking I cried my way through Madison that year, you would be correct. I just, my main goal was just to try to keep all this craziness shoved into my body. But some of us would seep out all the time. My great friend Carly who's here tonight. You may know her. She is the manager at Mickey's. Yeah, she's awesome. If you don't know her, you should get to know her. But she met up with me at St. Vinny's one day, and we walked in, and there was, like, a dining room table, and it was completely set with, like, all the pieces for a big dinner. And I was just, like, missing Ellie so wistfully that day. And so the two of us sat down at this dining room table, and we both just cried. And then we looked up and we realized like we're facing Willie Street. So it was like we did this dramatic reenactment for Willie Street. And like that made us laugh. So then our, our tears turned into laughter. And I realized that maybe my grief wasn't this long, lonely, wrong choice water slide. Maybe it was a collaboration. Because every time... I needed someone. There was someone there to help me get back up. I would often call my sister who lives in Memphis and I would just be sobbing and I would have to get out to her like, I'm okay because I knew she would get on a plane from Memphis to big sister the problem if I didn't get those words out. And like even the day that Ellie died, people just left us food on our front porch. And I don't even know how they found out. And I don't even know who made it, but we ate it. (laughs) And it's 
So recently, it's been almost eight years since Ellie died. And recently, we were taking a trip to Chicago and my five-year-old had packed three bags for three days. And I said, Zibby, you're gonna have to carry those bags in yourself. And she paused for a moment thinking about that. And she said, I think there will be somebody there to help me. And I realized that that's how it had been for me, that there had always somehow been somebody there to help me. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, that. thank you so much for letting us play the story and letting us uh, share it with people because it's really just a gorgeous story. Thank you. Um, one thing that uh, I was thinking about listening to it this time is I, I really like how you in- introduced it, right? Because you start with this kind of very like fun, funny anecdote about the water parks or the water slide and, and then you turn that into a metaphor for grief. And so you let us know that the most horrible thing that any parent can think of happened to you, which is your, your daughter died. And so that's, that's, a, that's a heavy thing. But I feel like the audience sort of felt like they knew you, they trusted you. And so we were going to hear this hard story, but you were going to temper it, you know? And so I just, I, I don't, had, were you intentional with that when you thought about how you were putting this together? Well, the story actually surprised me because I started thinking about the water slide part of the story and then the more I thought about, like, I thought it was going to be the story about, like, grief and how alone you are and how you have to do it alone. And then, but then the more I pulled these pieces of, there was always somebody there that showed up at just the right time. It changed the story into a happier ending than I originally thought it was going to be. And I, I just love when, like, the humor and the heartbreak are just, right butted up next to each other I just think it's that's how you can survive it if you can if you can pull the laughter into it then you know you'll be okay yeah and you did a really good job to um taking us on that journey with you like literally from the beginning when you you know got on the slide and there was nobody in line I liked how you did that and then you (laughs) talked about how there was always someone there but just we were already with you because we all have had that moment where it's like okay I'm gonna do this dumb thing that should be fun but it probably is gonna be terrifying so we're already there with you so when you introduced that jolt of what happened with your daughter and how it made you feel we kind of trusted you to take us on that journey so you did a really good job of you know picking out moments to do that so what was the process like of picking out different moments where someone was there um I mean I think they just came to me as I was thinking back over that period of time and I think it took a number of years for me to be able to actually talk about that period as Jen you've talked about that sometimes you're not quite ready to tell the story I forgot what your question was. Just what was it like picking out those specific moments, like, you know, sitting in St. Vinny's or, you know, being at the the game, kind of trying not to cry, but crying? Well, I, as I thought of the different stories, I also thought of the friends. So I sort of, it became an ulterior motive to me to, like, try to get those people to the moth that night gotcha. <laughs> so that I could acknowledge them because I don't think that they fully realized like Katie McGlenn being at kindergarten at field day, I don't, her giving me a hug and just accepting that I was a hot mess right then 
was so powerful. And Carly, too. I don't think either one of them realized how important they had been in helping me be able to fall down and then stand back up. And I thought about people in the audience and how there were probably people there that night who didn't realize how kindness could impact the people around them. And so that was part of my motivation in wanting, because I don't necessarily like to get up on the stage. I People will say, like, I could never tell a moth story. And I'm like, me too. I could never <laughs> tell a moth. Like, it's not my comfort zone. But thinking about, like, there's probably people out in that audience who are lonely and, like, might be inspired by the story. And also being able to acknowledge Carly and Katie and their contribution. Because I think when there's something like this, either people like run away, they cannot handle it. They can't handle like seeing me and it reminding me that they're vulnerable too. Mm -hmm. Or people run towards you. And those are the people that you you just appreciate and want to acknowledge and hold closer to you because not everyone has that in them. Not everyone has that courage to do that. Very true. Yeah, one thing um, I was thinking about um, when, when you were saying how, like for you, if, you know, tempering it with humor and how that, that's how you know you could help get through it. And you've told a couple different stories at the Moth and each one kind of circled around Ellie's death, but you but you pulled at different threads for each one. Um, and, you know, so I just thought it was interesting because like one of them, I think like it was in some ways it was about her death, but it was about, like your siblings, you know? And so in this one, it was about her death, but it was about community sort of holding you up, you know? And so when you've gotten up to tell these stories each time, like did each time you sort of have a different goal with the story? I mean, I I feel like my goal is always to like try to connect with somebody in the audience that it will light them up mm-hmm. in a way. And so... That's always like my motivation. Um, again, I forgot your question. <laughs> I know, you know, if you hadn't said that to Tequila, I think it'd be because like my questions are too long. But <laughs> but now I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's about you and not me. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I think it's me. It's me. Sorry. It's fine. Whatever you, whatever I asked, whatever you answered, that was great. Okay. Yes, <laughs> so, it was. Okay. Um, one thing, so I actually um, didn't know you very well at the time, but my daughter Tamar and your daughter yes. Ellie were in school together. Yep. And so um, so I, I knew about Ellie and her illness. I think Tamar and her friends like used to help her brush her teeth after lunch and things like that. And um, But I didn't really get to know you till after. And then now I feel like I've gotten to know you more through hearing you tell these stories. And you were saying how um, the thing about having a sense of humor is I feel like when you get to tell a story what you're coming with are the raw materials of who you are, right? So if you're not a funny person, you're not going to add humor. Like not everyone could add humor to this kind of story. You know, that's just something that just must be kind of intrinsically part of your personality. My husband says like when I've gone through labor giving birth that um, when I lose my sense of humor, that's when he gets nervous because yeah. <laughs> he's like, okay, it's real now. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's when he's like, because I think it is so much a part of how I think about and look at the world. Like it just seems so many things seem ridiculous to me. Even anything else except laugh. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I want to say, I really like how you, 
ended it, you know, where you sort of came up with that, the little anecdote of your kid. And so I'm just curious, like, did that just sort of come to you or did you know that that was where you're going to, how you're going to do a resolution? No, I had no idea. That trip happened uh, like the weekend before the mom or the, it was really close in time. Mm -hmm. And so it, it just happened with Zibby and, you know, as the youngest, everybody kind of jumps in and helps her out in ways that if you're another birth order, you don't get the same help, Mm -hmm. but everybody jumps in. So when she had all of these bags, I, yeah, it just seemed so perfect for the story that, and the way the story was evolving. Yeah. 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 That was a very, that was like a perfect (laughs) ending to that story. Yeah. I really, I really liked how how you did that. Well, and also my kids are always like, am I in your story? Have I been in your story? You know, they're always (laughs) trying to (laughs) pop their way into That's a sign they like your stories then if they're like, did you write about me? (laughs) They want to be celebrity. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, so now, now that you're on such a popular, you know, podcast, like they're going to, you know, she's going to, she's going to have one up on her older, older siblings. So. Oh, goodness. Um, well, one of the things I wanted to tell you, and I don't know if you meant this um, to be in that way or not, but when you were um, in the water slide and you're you're saying the only way you know through it is to just let go and go through it, like that was that was a good profound moment for me, which kind of I think for me kind of prepared me for the turn of you know when you introduce your daughter. But that was kind of the theme of that next portion of there's only one way through it is just you know cry your way through Madison and just let happen what happens. Honestly, that time, that period of time, I felt like I was standing in the middle of a freeway. Like, it just felt like the world was going really, really fast, and I had just slowed down. And I was just standing there, and that's all I could do. I couldn't... And the slogan that kind of got me through that phase was, like, I'm doing the very best that I can, and everybody else is, too. Like, mm-hmm. it's you know, to give me a little bit of grace in that period of time. Like, it's okay to be, I mean, it's probably not okay to be standing in the middle of a highway, but, you know, to have that feeling of Mm -hmm. everyone is faster. Because when she died, it was like, we were part of hospice care. We were part of the Marquette community. We were part of the hospital community. And then all of a sudden, we're not a part of any of them. And so in that way, it was isolating, not just with the grief, but also we're suddenly not a part of, all these communities and hospice care, I mean, they're in your life. I mean, they're there in your house all the time and suddenly they're gone the day that she dies. So it was isolating in a different way than I expected even before she died. Yeah, and that's not something most people would even consider either, that that's another moment of isolation and just jolts you out of the reality that you knew. One thing, just for um, people listening who did not have children who were in class with Ellie, is I think one thing that um, again I didn't I didn't know you, but I thought you did remarkably well. Is after she died, you she put together Debbie put together like a little book with sort of memories of Ellie that all the kids shared, and so everybody in the in the grade got it. Which I know you know my daughter still has on her shelf. I mean, now partly she probably hasn't cleaned out herself in a while, but like nonetheless, <laughs> you know, it's still there, you know, and so she's pulled it out and looked at it from time to time. And so I think that was just like a very, you know, generous gift you gave to people. And I could see that it was probably a way for you to also feel less alone too. Well, my brother put together a portmanteau, which is when you combine words, because it was one of Ellie's favorite things to do. And so he had 
pictures of Ellie and then he put like he listed words that she combined so everyone would have them and some people have told me they still had them on their wall I don't know who did the little book I wonder if it was some of the teachers actually oh it wasn't you it wasn't me oh okay I don't think maybe (laughs) for some reason I thought it was you but it's been a long time so yeah yeah um well um you know, again, I appreciate you letting us play the story because I think, you know, as you said, I think there are a lot of people that, you know, deal with grief. And yes. so um, I, I think your story is just a great story to share. I also think that grief, at the time, I thought so many people are giving me so much grace because they know Ellie died, but so many people face grief yeah. that you don't get as much grace for to deal with and handle. Right. And so... In a way, I was like, everyone's being so nice to me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm just going to switch gears a little bit. Okay. And so um, we have two questions we like to ask people. And so if you listen to the podcast, are you ready uh, for them? And the first one is, you know, how do you use storytelling in in your daily life? I think one way I use storytelling is to make sure that everyone in my family knows Ellie. So... Often, you know, something will happen and I'll say, oh, Ellie used to do so-and-so. So that, especially Zibby, because she had no, she was born after Ellie died. And Lada was four months old when she died. So they don't have any memories. And so I just want them to know their sister. Right. And so that's yeah. a way that I use storytelling to keep Ellie alive. That's great. Wonderful way to honor her. Um, the second thing is, so what's your favorite thing to do in Madison? Okay, so I had my qu- I had my answer all picked <laughs> out. And then this morning, um, my 14-year-old and I volunteered at the Hawthorne Hootenanny, which is one of Madison's public libraries. And I just, I love the public libraries. I just think they provide so much to the community and um, not just, access to information, but a place where people can go to be warm and mm-hmm. um, I, they're fantastic. So. Yeah, I, I remember when um, my kids were little and I first went to the kids section of the central branch, which was before their renewal or whatever it's called, their the new whatever the new one and even then it's like oh my god they have toys here like yes. i was like we could we're just gonna spend the afternoon here like i just didn't realize like there's toys there's trains there's like you know there's so much to do and so, it's all free yeah. it's free yeah, yeah they let me host the we write to um oh, yeah? the book club yeah and help me out with fun and stuff for the boys and activities and offer to do like a little book box and everything so yeah shout out to our libraries yeah. here they yeah. are yes. awesome yeah yes. they're great um well thank you so much for coming in and um, sharing your story and making me cry almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But laugh at the same time. Yes. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Okay, so now for something new we would like to introduce again. Um, Every person has a story, obviously, and so does every business. From where they have the idea from and to what their goals are, every business also has a story. So today we have with us Laurel Laurel Burleson. You just told me how to say that and I still messed it up, my bad. It's okay. (laughs) Of the Ugly Apple. 
And um, this is, I think, the third business we're featuring that's part of Madison's um, Market Ready program for the public market. So thank you for coming. And yeah, tell us a little bit about how your business got started. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I have been in the culinary world um, for close to 17 years now. It's all I kind of ever wanted to do when I was in high school. And then that's the path I took. And uh, maybe about five years ago, I had a more solid idea for starting a, a business when we moved to Madison. And I really like the food cart kind of scene as a way of breaking into that. Um, and then the idea solidified uh, for the Ugly Apple um, after seeing kind of all the food waste that's prevalent, you know, grocery stores, I heard reports that even farmers at farmers markets end up with a lot of extras left at the end of the day that really don't have a market for them. And whatever they can't eat themselves just goes to the compost heap. So I wanted to start a business that was focusing on taking the seconds, taking the leftovers, and making those into products um, that are delicious because they're still just as good. Even if even if the apple's ugly on the outside, it still might make a great applesauce or a donut or things like that. Um, so that's how the Ugly Apple was born. And I actually opened three years ago today, the day that we're Happy anniversary. Oh, Thanks so much. Yeah. I, I love that name. That's a great name, the Ugly Apple. Thanks. I like that. Um, so, what, like, so what kind of foods? So you make the food and then you sell the food? or Yeah, so it's, and it's kind of evolved. Um, I started just as a food cart three years ago. Um, serving primarily breakfast food. Okay. Um, so like was, apple fritters? or Is it food other than apples? Uh, yes. Okay, okay. So um, I started serving breakfast downtown on the Capitol Square. Um, biscuit sandwiches, potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. muffins, apple fritters, and, um, and focusing on vending at farmer's markets too because that was a lot of the vendors I was working with were, of course, at the local farmer's market. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Um, and then from there, I kind of got into more catering and food processing. So I got my license to make jellies and jams and um, dehydrating. So I make a product I call apple straps, which are fruit leather, essentially. So dehydrated apples with other kind of nutritional elements in there to, to make a healthy snack for, for people and use more of the apples especially, but other fruits that are available that wouldn't get used otherwise. And so um, if... If people wanted to buy food from the Ugly Apple, do they mostly find you at the food cart or can they find you online? Like how would people find um, and buy your buy your food? Yeah, um, well, we kind of closed down a little bit in the winter. The, the first year I was open, I ran through the winter and um, by the second winter kind of realized it wasn't quite as, quite as worth it as right. I'd like. Uh, so I focused on some other things. Um, so our season is wrapping up right now for the food cart. But um, on my website, I have some catering menus and um, some descriptions of different products I have that people can reach out and buy via, like, reaching out through social media or my website or emailing me. So what's your website if someone wanted to look you up and yeah. order something? It's uh, www.uglyapplecafe.com. Okay. Great. Um, and one of the things we like to ask everybody is, um, do we... Do we ask everybody how you use storytelling in your business? I think that's what we ask people. Yeah. yeah. So do you use, because that's that's a cool story, I feel like. You know, this idea that like taking ugly food that is actually perfect to eat. And so how do you use your storytelling for that? Yeah, well, and I mean, that's kind of why I wanted it in the name, even though we were serving breakfast food. Someone would get a biscuit sandwich 
and asks, like, why are you called the ugly apple? And that's kind of infuses the story into everything we sell. And then um, kind of talking about the farmers I work with, too, all the time. You know, it's like, oh, the bacon comes from Pecatonica Valley, and I got these potatoes from a small potato farm, and the apples came from Two Onion Orchard, you know, like things like that, and or Two Onion Farm. Or Door Creek Orchard. Those are the two that I work with a lot. But, um, you know, and kind of telling the farmer's stories also as part of my story and, like, those relationships we've built has been really fun, too. That's great. Thanks. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And, again, congrats on your three-year anniversary. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And uh, we'll see you at the public market. Yes. Great. Hope so. Well, I'm a fan of a good name for a business, and I I do like the Ugly Apple. I think that's a great name, and I'm definitely going to check out her apple fritters at the whenever the whenever she's next at the public market. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome idea to just make sure that food doesn't go to waste, and you know, make something beautiful of something that would normally be thrown away. Yeah. Um, but um, back to the story that we heard earlier. Um, yeah, my heart's still kind of racing from that. She did a really good job of you know infusing like she said the humor and with the grief and sorrow that probably is one of my faves this season yeah that's you know it's a great story and so you know i knew that i liked a lot of her stories and i had richard send me this one and i listened to it and i was like oh yeah that's the one we're doing because it's it's really just gorgeous and um and i you know i i don't even want to think about whether i'd be able to tell a story if one of my children died that's just you know obviously you know something i don't want to think about right but she she shared her feelings with us quite well so thanks for that good good pick thank you um okay so we have our you know usual uh you know end of the podcast nitty-gritty details that (laughs) we're uh we want to share so um i want to say so if you're listening to this podcast next week um on you know wednesday or thursday or friday or Saturday or Sunday, there is still time to go to the next Moth Story Slam, which is a number uh, November 11th at the high noon. I recommend it. It's a fun night. Um, please be sure to subscribe and share. Tell all your friends and family and cousins and them about the podcast so they can listen in. You can contact us at inside stories podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. You yeah, got it. Super long, but yeah. it works. Um, or check us out on Facebook inside stories also. Uh, speaking of checking us out on Facebook, one thing that um, we didn't end up talking about with Debbie, but she shared with us afterwards, is she teaches a happiness workshop at MSCR, and she actually has one coming up a couple days after this podcast comes out, this episode comes out. So if you're interested, we'll put the link up on Facebook, so you could check that out there. And... Um, as always, we want to thank Richard for both the studio and for his editing and for the music. And um, I want to thank the Dane County Arts Commission for uh, giving us some money to keep this podcast going along. Yes, thanks for the music and the space and the money. All right, see you next week. See you. <laughs>